You are listening to an exclusive on PodHub Network. Your city, your podcast. The delight of this crowd, McClendon marches down the dugout steps with first base. McCutcheon's throw, the runner breaks to the plate, here's the throw, wow. You are listening to the North Shore 9 Podcast. Follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also, make sure to watch NS9 Live every Thursday on Twitch and help support by becoming a patron. Let's go, Bucks! All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, welcome to the North Shore 9 Podcast. I am Jim Rosati. With me, we got Anthony DiNardo. We've got Tyler Wags the Touch. And joining us today um, from 93.7 The Fan uh, is Chris Muller. Chris, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, guys. Uh, I am happy to take a day off of the radio show so that I can do podcasting instead. Uh, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's going for a jog when you normally uh, would go for a jog because they're the exact same thing, except I could technically swear on this, but because I'm very scared about everything, I probably won't. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah feel free to swear if you want it, it's it's fine um, we got funny because we got like a nasty instagram dm all of us station saying ass and damn on the on the air too regularly it was that old Stephen a tweet like only ass damn and hell are allowed on my page those are basic curse words anything else and you get blocked and it was some very angry lady who just sent us a, like a message saying yeah. it totally ruined her listening experience oh, oh wow Jeez. Oh, we already totally have Cody on, so we figure we get to the worst co-host on <laughs> next. So. <laughs> so, so we're recording this. So the podcast will come out Sunday. We're recording this on uh, Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. So, uh, so happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving weekend. Um, I wanted to start off. So we, so we got Chris on the show here. Chris, Chris put together some, some pretty hot takes for his Thanksgiving rankings yesterday and i just want to give him a chance to defend those takes chris you you put out a ranking here first off you did thanksgiving pies which let's address that too because blueberry pie you rank number one apple number two i would have put apple number one so just so just saying it's it's up there but uh blueberry i don't think i've ever had blueberry pie for thanksgiving i mean I'll be honest. When I make lists like this, and I'm doing four hours like I did yesterday on the air, I mean there is absolutely there in this particular case. I pride myself on not doing hot takes just to get clicks, but yeah, yes, absolutely got into the mud. Blueberry is by far like growing up. My mom made just outrageous, still does makes these outrageous blueberry pies. She always thinks they suck. They always get devoured in like under two hours in my you know from at my parents' house or something. And so I know it's not a Thanksgiving pie, but I knew it would make people mad if I put it number one because it's my favorite kind of pie. Like, really, there's only two Thanksgiving pies north of the Mason-Dixon line. Pumpkin, which sucks, and apple, which is good. And there's like six variants of apple pie. I put pumpkin on that list just so I wouldn't have hordes of angry people coming at me. I put <laughs> right, pecan, right. Dude, I put pecan pie on there. I've had it one time in my life, but every dude we've had on like the actual PM team who we asked this question to loved pecan pie. So we just figured, all right, like must be really good. 
I can't even remember when I had it, but I put it on that list. Really, I was just trying to troll hard with blueberry because <laughs> it's it's a summer, I get it. It's a summer pie. Well, you succeeded. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I, I think I've had blueberry pie once in my entire life, just to start with. Now, I, I guess if you're saying like your mom made an outstanding pie, I can get that. I mean, that's probably something you grew up with, right? Yeah. I mean, here's the problem, okay. though. Like, apple pie travels well. Like if you get a store-bought apple pie, it's not going to be awesome, but it'll. I think like everyone that makes an apple pie in those regular old like grocery store bakeries knows if you grocery store blueberry pie, you're screwed. you're screwed. It's like somebody put blueberry jelly in there and it looks real whack and it's not good. It doesn't, you have to have a good one. If you have a bad one, the fail rate is very high and you'll never want it again. So you got to have it homemade and you got to have it good. So, so apple pie, I would agree with you is the best. And, and this goes back to really my childhood. Born and raised Hickory, Pennsylvania, home of the Apple Festival. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Hickory or Cherry, that area. Um, the Apple Festival is basically the only thing going on in Hickory, Pennsylvania. It's like three days a year. The place goes nuts. Traffic jams for miles. So what's <laughs> the best apple pie? Because I have very strong feelings about this, too. Like, I think there's an obvious answer here. Like, if somebody just says, who's the best baseball player alive? Everyone goes, okay, Mike Trout. Or, like, idiots will say something else. Uh, but, like, there is a very obvious answer as to what the best apple is in apple pie. Any Smith? Correct. I mean, that's yeah. the only answer, right? Well, no, you'd be surprised. I thought it was a trick question. No, you'd be surprised at how people mm. like wheat apple taste and not that little bit of tart. Like, you've got to have grainy. I don't know. I don't understand people who are, like, making them with other stuff. It doesn't make sense to me at all. So maybe I just thought the apple pie connoisseur, but, yeah, I, I thought that was really the only apple you used. Is there really I, battles? Like, is this hardcore legit battle between the type of apples you use? I have understood there to be all like various other apples used. Like, people make them sweeter. And I'm just like, what are you doing, man? Just like put the granny in the pie. What is going on here? Yeah. Cause I mean, I don't know anybody who makes apple pies with like red delicious apple. Like, that's not, that's not how you do it. You're making I'm, apple sauce. <laughs> I think I feel like I've heard like Fuji and like stuff like that. Like, just the random apples people will drop in there. But yeah, I've always been like, uh, it's Granny Smith or nothing. I guess when when people make Dutch apple pie, isn't that a different kind of apple or no? Talking to the wrong guy. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 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 Hickory channels. <laughs> like I, I go to the Apple Festival. I don't I don't make the pies at the Apple Festival. Hey guys, I'm where the most famous thing we do is have this Apple Festival. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely got the wrong guy. Here. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. So my issue with the blueberry pie is that we're talking about Thanksgiving, and I know you did it to troll, but Thanksgiving food is not regular f- food. We're talking about stuffing, something. I don't want to eat any other time of the year. So this is very specific to this time. So that's why it's so offensive that you pick blueberry. See, that, like when people put mac and cheese in as a side, to me, mac and cheese is something most people eat all the time. Like I don't, but to me it's like wait a minute why don't we just put like t-bone steaks in as a great thanksgiving food so i have that same problem you have with blueberry pie with a ton of these sides people try to shoehorn in as being thanksgiving specific which is why they wouldn't rank that high on the sides which is why stuffing is so high even though it's way worse than mac and cheese (laughs) i I guess i get that (laughs) and like with me too i didn't really grow up with like mac and cheese as a side and maybe it's a northern southern thing because i've been down here even though I don't really consider like Florida the South, 
It's like you live in Jacksonville. <laughs> it's not the South. It, well, that's it. it actually, it's, it's very borderish of, you know, you get a lot of Georgia people here and a lot of actually transplants from everywhere in Jacksonville. But um, being down here, I've been very accustomed to it's a staple. You got to have mac and cheese and it's got to be baked. It's got to be legit. You know, it's a hot take. Now you're talking about apple pies. I mean, the way you make your, your mac and cheese down here, very, very, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's, it's got to be a certain way or you're going to yell at. So you guys put eggs in the weird stuff. No, see, I'll agree. It's, it's definitely a North South thing. Cause yeah. I mean, I, I love my family, but if I'm doing Thanksgiving in Pittsburgh, it's just the Thanksgiving dinner is just nowhere near what it is in Kentucky. Um, so I mean, that is definitely a holiday where like, I rather stay home for than, than go back to Pittsburgh because the food is just so much better in Kentucky than Pittsburgh. When it comes to Thanksgiving. For Manny Brothers sandwiches. For, for, for the one day. Yeah. For the one day. Uh, eh, probably all, all around. Yeah, but, but definitely that one day. <laughs> I'm just laughing at the thought of like people in Pittsburgh love, oh, we've got such a great bustling food scene and it is pretty good. Dude, anybody that's like eating Southern cooking, mm. everybody knows what's the best. Like go to New Orleans and eat Creole or like Cajun or yeah. some gumbo. Like anything that's done in the deep South is probably fried. It's probably delicious. Got crispy skin and juicy meat. Like, what else do we need here? It's, it's impossible to mess up. Like, you can't have bad food. Correct. I mean, you'll die. Fifty five. You'll die. Right. <laughs> but I mean, you're gonna I, die. <laughs> I don't know. Pittsburgh does put fries on a sandwich and salads. Put fries, <laughs> <laughs> put fries on everything. The one healthy thing is everyone. That's fair. <laughs> All right, so the pie, so that was that was a troll job from you. So I, I can get that. I can get behind that. Because I, I will say I love blueberry pie. It's just not really a Thanksgiving food that I, that I think about. Um, <laughs> but let's go to your, all right, your foods, your actual, you said your pound for pound yeah, this cuts Thanksgiving across. food. So yeah, it's like this, whatever you want here. Yeah, so you lead off with dinner rolls. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Which are fine. Then you go stuffing, followed by corn, and then mashed potatoes, and then turkey. And I'm just going to say, like, right off the bat here, your first three choices, mm-hmm. I did not eat any of that yesterday. <laughs> like, I didn't, even, I didn't even put it on my plate. I mean, frankly, neither did I, because we had a very mm-hmm. weird thing, because I, I usually would help do a lot of the cooking, but obviously I was working, so, like... I was kind of in and out and my wife was trying to do stuff and her, her mother and her sister were over. And that, so that was kind of our like crew dinner rolls in a normal Thanksgiving. Here's, here's the logic. One, let's just get this out of the way right now. I love bread. I just love bread. I am a, I am a starch man through and through. So like, think about bread, dinner rolls, butter can go on them. Gravy can get sopped up. You can turn it into a sweet treat with a little cranberry sauce residue. You can accidentally get your dinner roll mixed in with stuffing and it's just bread on bread. You can throw a little piece of turkey on there and pretend you're eating a sandwich. Like just it's an who's your favorite? It's like the Luke Hancock of of turkey, you know, Thanksgiving stuff. It's a glue guy. You know it's gonna show up and give you numbers and do what the you know, follow the game plan. So that was a good reference too. It was a good Luke Hancock reference there. (laughs) Buttering you up here, man. Come on. I, I don't just like you would butter up the bread. <laughs> we got fortunate to have some Texas Roadhouse rolls in the house, so oh. a little bit of cinnamon butter. Mm. Texas oh. Roadhouse rolls are a top two dinner 
breath. The high school had a fundraiser. We got 10 dozen. I'm down with it. I'm with you too, Chris. I love bread. (laughs) Any type of bread. I'm down for it. So I I can't hate on the dinner rolls as well. And I mean, that that turns into like, you know, your turkey sandwich a little bit as well. Correct. Exactly. Corn above mashed potatoes is just a psychopath move. (laughs) All right. I mean, corn plays a very simple role here, in my opinion. I love mashed potatoes, but I love them even more with a little texture bite of corn. Like you're just dousing the whole thing in gravy, right, Tyler? Like we're all eating mashed potatoes more or less the same. You're yeah, just, it's a KFC famous bowl. Right. You're just putting a t- putting a ton of gravy on. Then you need a little <laughs> little chew in there, right? I'll, I'll do a Food Network term. Mm-hmm. A little chew in there. And then this is what's important. Let's get gross real quick. All these foods you're eating can kind of stop you up here. A lot of starch, a lot of meats. You're like, you know, the old, the old body's like, this is tough to process here. You throw a little corn into the mix and you turn into Machine Gun Kelly two days later. <laughs> That's why it's important here. It's good, and it also serves a very like important function to not make you miserable two days later. Yeah, but so that, there's a laxative, and that's not the top five. Yeah, but yeah, laxative. <laughs> it's like corn. Hear it. See, that's what the pumpkin pie is for as well. That's why it's the most yeah. elite dessert. Whoa. That's See, why, that's why the pumpkin just... pie is the must. Because that's I'm what it does with just well. coffee. Like you give me coffee and it's it's over. Like <laughs> I drink enough that, that I don't have I that problem. Want corn and I'll I'll use what I just said to justify it. Even though points about pumpkin pie, coffee, and laxatives, to be fair, are all fair and correct. I'll still use it to justify corn. Which let's be honest, what think of like an overrated an overrated uh, college football team, Washington, a couple years ago, undefeated. Like, they got mentioned, they got put in the college football playoff, but everybody knew they probably weren't that good. Corn is probably overranked here. I'll see the point. But it's still going to go play, and then Alabama, a.k.a. dinner rolls, is going to destroy it in the national. Here's where I'll give you is that I've been to some family parties where the mashed potatoes just aren't good. They're too lumpy. They don't put the cheese in it. No cream. It's just a crapshoot sometimes. Corn. It's going to be consistent no matter whether it's frozen or in the can. Correct. It's, it's still not better. But you know what you're getting from corn every time. You do. Yeah. You know exactly. Yeah, and I'll say this too. What I think is very underrated. I don't know if you guys have had this, but like corn and mashed potatoes together is actually very, very good. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you mix the two together. Yeah, that, that's great. Yeah, With that's corn as itself, just standing here as a loan is number three. It's just absurd to me. But – I mean, I can understand your backing, your reasoning for it. Okay. But yes, if you do corn and mashed potatoes together, that's very elite. Oh, and we're yeah. talking off the cob, right? Yeah, off the cob. It's, it's getting spread around the plate. You might get a bite of a little bit of corn and a stuffing bite. Like you might even accidentally get a little corn mixed in with the turkey. Now that we see, now that corn is everywhere and nowhere at the same time, I think we understand the appeal here. I think I've supported it pretty well. Okay. Okay. I still think it's too hot. I still think it's too hot. I think the I think the lack of mac and cheese. First off, mac and cheese is just an elite Thanksgiving food. So I'm going to go mac and cheese. Like that's got to be number one. Hash brown casserole. Again, it's there too. And it, it's I could just eat Thanksgiving with just mac and cheese and hash brown casserole. To be honest with you, I wouldn't need. Are you talking about else. the hash brown casserole with the corn flakes on top? Uh, no, they're they're crushed uh, like Ritz crackers on top. We do corn flakes, but. Mm. Close to the same thing. Yeah. Ritz crackers are better than cornflakes. No. I've had that's it with cornflakes. Broccoli too. casserole. See, I would put broccoli casserole in my top five. Not green bean, broccoli. I would go broccoli over green bean. Well, I hate like the mush. Like, so I'm not a cheese guy. That's the other thing you guys got to know about me. Okay. Uh, 
the melted cheese, I have like this aversion to, from melted cheese, like gooey cheese, since I was like three years old when I would eat grilled cheese every day. And then I just shoved it away one day. Like I, I literally developed one of those. You just eat something too much and you start to eat it. So like I'm out on pizza. I'm out on grilled cheese. You guys are talking mac and cheese. That is crazy. Dude, it's a foreign concept. It's wild. I'd weigh 450 pounds if I did like cheese. Because I would just grub on pizza. I like I get the appeal of it in theory. Yeah. It's literally when you guys are talking about it, I'm like, yep. And I just nod along like you're trying to be cool in high school because everyone be and you don't you're like, Oh yeah, that was awesome when he said that. So so you so it's like pizza. So you're like a no go on pizza. Unless it's like an old school marinara one, you know, that like is uh-huh. a roasted garlic, like the old the oldest style, yeah. I can see that that makes a very that's interesting because how you talked about bread. I'm with you too. Bread is great, and like cheese is right below that. Like I'm a cheese guy. Melted I, cheese is I great would, too. Yeah. And as I far would, as like another casserole is going to bring up, you guys talk about broccoli. I mean, broccoli cheese and rice for me. I love that casserole dish. Mm-hmm. I don't do rice. Yeah, I could go for that. Yeah. <laughs> it does live in a good town to not like pizza though, because I don't care what you say. The pizza in Pittsburgh is terrible. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, pe- well, yeah. it's better than Louisville. So is the Valley. Louisville pizza is not great. That's just mean. Youngstown <laughs> pizza is elite. I don't want to hear that. Terrible. What? So I'll eat pizza if it's at like room temperature, basically, if it's cooled down. And I will say the, my favorite slice of pizza I've ever had is from Youngstown. It's from Wedgwood. What? Thank you. That, you know what? I might listen to the fam more often on my way home from work. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to cancel that Sirius XM. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Pandering to the Youngstown audience. Um, <laughs> uh, my wife's cousin is married to a guy from Youngstown, and he brought back a Wedgwood, like whatever the one is that has all the toppings, like loaded oh, yeah. up. And I was like, all right, I'll let this cool down and see. And I ate like four pieces of it once it had cooled down a little bit because it was that good. It was so. I think I've said Wedgwood's my favorite pizza so many times on these stupid podcasts. <laughs> Every time we argue about pizza. <laughs> So once a week. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's the one thing we're lacking here is pizza. I will say you, you'll never find a better burger than the burgers you get in this town. But pizza is not great. So not a Beto's or Beto's or whatever the hell they call it. Oh, no. Throw it out where it belongs. That I can agree with. Like I take. All right. So we talked about Thanksgiving. Um, let's, uh, let's shift some, some, uh, let's shift over to some pirates talk here. So, um, 93, seven home of the pirates actually. Um, uh, but we, uh, we, we just finished up. We talked a little bit about this on, on Wednesday, Denardo and I, but, uh, I want to go into a little more detail. It's been one year now, one year and about 10 days since Ben Sherrington took over. Um, as general manager of the Pirates. And, I mean, our, our thoughts were basically, you know, he, he's done what he's done so far. Like, nothing's been surprising. Nothing has been overwhelming. Nothing has been underwhelming. But he hasn't really done anything to kind of differentiate himself from his his predecessor. So mm-hmm. just, just kind of like your one-year in review I mean, I guess his big deal so far has been a Starling Marte trade. That's kind of been his his biggest thing right now. And then we have we had the draft last June. But kind of, what are your I mean, what are your thoughts on Sherrington? Just one year into the job, 
I mean, I, I guess I would say I'm in full on wait and see mode because you sort of have to be. I think when 2013 hit and it actually started working for this team, I know for me as a guy that's 35 and was seven when Sid Bream crossed home plate, like I really, I was thinking about this when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about today, uh, right before I came on with you guys. And like, I had no frame of reference for how it was supposed to look when a team started to become competitive. Like what comes next? That little first run dies, like what happens next? And obviously with Neil Huntington, it wasn't good. So like my frame of reference is all thrown off and out of whack. I would say with Charrington, it's like the most, it's like the definition, textbook definition of an incomplete grade. And it, the one thing that has defined it so far through year one, and I guess this would be a negative, although I like this guy until the last couple of years sort of soured, I, I think, him for most people, Neil Huntington. It feels very Huntington 2.0. He's a guy from up in the same part of the country, you know, like everything about him, the way he speaks, how little he gives in his, you know, in his weekly radio show. It's very buttoned up. It's very, you can tell like, that there are talking points and it's very hard to get Ben Charrington to deviate from, from script or from what he wants to convey. That just reminds me so much of Neil Huntington. Uh, and there have been so few significant moves. Like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of what he's done right now that would, that I would put, you know, in his basket as being his doing that stands out to me. And frankly, I can't really name anything. Like there hasn't been some defining characteristic or trait of his tenure yet or, or maneuver uh that you say okay ben charrington put his stamp on this franchise that hasn't happened yeah i, I totally agree with i agree 100 and, and kind of like you mentioned we're, we were kind of the same boats i was five in 1992 right so I, I went through kind of my entire life not knowing what it was like to have a good baseball team until 2013 and and i think and, and one thing I want to say is when we say like this wait and see approach and, you know, he, he seems like he's doing the same things as Neil Huntington. Yeah. Neil Huntington's last few years with the pirates was bad. Like there's no sugarcoating it. He, the team was moving in the clearly the wrong direction. Um, but we have to remember that Neil Huntington took over a team that was terrible and he turned them into a good team for, I mean, three, three straight playoff appearances. So the beginning of his tenure was was productive and successful. It's just he wasn't able to replicate that success or keep it going, you know, kind of after that first wave. So I think that's that's kind of one thing to remember is like when I say he he reminds me exactly like Neil Huntington. I'm not saying it as a bad thing all the time because what Neil Huntington did worked, right? Just he wasn't able. It also um, took him six years though. That team was just so bad though when he took over. Like the organization, this team's no very talent. bad too. Right, and that's the thing. I think I think just to kind of go with it, it's and he it's, missed a lot early on. That's the thing. If Sherrington's going to be successful, he can't miss like Huntington did early on. Tyler, to that point, like Huntington, we didn't know it at the time, but he had a future MVP coming up that he had been left right. over, and he had a guy that, granted, he didn't like in Walker, but like Neil Walker for all his flaws and sort of the hyper fishbowl mentality towards him because he's a Pine Richland kid. He was a serviceable player, especially. Oh, yeah. The thing, the thing for Huntington that I want to see out of Charrington, and I, I would give Huntington a ton of credit for having dragged them out of hell to where he got them. Where is Ben Charrington's like Tampa Bay Rays style thing within the margins going to be? For Huntington, it was we're digging hard into defensive shifting, ground balls. 
We're taking advantage of a more dead ball era because that's what it was from the early part of the 20 that help us compete. And I don't know what that looks like today. The ball's juiced. It's all about strikeouts. It's harder to find bargains, I think, like that are that are doing good things in the margins right now than it was when Huntington was innovating. So what's Ben Charrington's big innovation going to be? Like, that's a huge question because Huntington absolutely had one and he wrote it to prosperity. And then, unfortunately, got fell in love with the smell of his own farts, I like to say, and never really altered course on the fly. And we saw. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that that's that's exactly 100 percent correct. I mean, you looked at the Pirates were one of the first teams to, you know, really buy into shifting right and that was kind of their one of the, one of the things that they put a stamp on the game and then everybody kind of caught up to what the pirates were doing and then started you know taking running laps around them um so that's that, that's a good question because i think you're right there's there's been so many innovations to the game just in the last 10 years like as far as how it's changed and the philosophies of not only the players but front offices it's like what like what? What's that next thing that there is to exploit? Right? Because I mean, it's the same thing. We're going to go back to ground balls because everyone's hitting home runs. Was, yeah, that comes full circle. Like that's true, Tyler. Like <laughs> the ball and what Major League Baseball determines they want the game to look like determines so much of this. I think. Like really, right now, I think the Rays and a couple other, and more or less every other smart team have figured out that it's about spin rate. It's about missing bats and it's about hitting dingers when you're when you're trying to find players who can play positions. So until baseball tries to go back in the other direction or decides it wants to overcorrect the baseball, I don't know what the next the next wave looks like. I mean, I don't feel like there there are more fine point analytics to measure some of the stuff that's going on now. But do you guys get the sense that there's anything new on the horizon that feels cutting edge that that you're starting to see gathering momentum? I mean, there's definitely like the the players are definitely are because before at the beginning of this decade, right, the beginning of the last decade, the, the the statistics, the analysis, everything, the science of it was there, but it was really more just the front offices were really taking advantage of it and using it. And now you're having you're seeing this shift over the last couple of years. You know, kind of all started with Trevor Bauer, and it's kind of you know gone gone from there, but. You've got all the players now buying into the science and changing their approach and what they're doing to get to get ready for games and how they're how they're executing differently. So I, I feel like that's kind of been the biggest difference. Is you know a decade ago we kind of all knew the science about it, but the players hadn't bought in yet. And now you have the players who have all bought into this way of doing things, and and they're they're taking advantage of it. And, and it probably just about, depends on whatever Manfred does. Yeah, and we talked about like if you look at pitchers and and the hitters, they what they're trying to accomplish kind of just feeds into each other. And you've got the players who they're just trying to pull the ball hard in the air. Like that's that's their goal. They're they're trying to pull the ball hard in the air. If they don't do that, they're fine with striking out. Pitchers, they just want to strike you out now, so they're throwing fastballs up up in the zone which are either getting the hitters to swing and miss or the hitters are catching up to them and they're crushing them, right? But it's like both behaviors of the two different, you know, players are feeding into each other. Um, and so we, we had some, 
some, I, I, we, I know we talked a little bit about this, but like, do we just keep going down this road where there's no balls put in play ever? Where there's 20 strikeouts a game, the only runs are home runs, or like, I mean, eventually baseball's got to change. And, and I think the players aren't going to change because they get paid based off of how many strikeouts they get and how many home runs they hit. Like, that, that's how they get paid. So I think, I mean, I brought up a little bit like, you know, do you deaden the ball? I think deadening the ball is something that, that needs to be done. If that doesn't work, maybe move the mound back a couple inches. I, I just think something has to be done to make the ball be put in play more. I mean, the, the quality of the product sucks for me as a like guy. I'll be honest. I One of the things that like, Maybe sometimes people say, oh, you just don't like baseball. I usually baseball hardcore types that say that oh, you can't appreciate a tough luck. No, man, the product sucks. Like, it's not fun to watch. It's fun if you're in person because baseball is always fun in person. There's, you know, when you can actually go to a game, there's a reason people like it. It's warm. You can drink a beer, or eat food and whatever. And it's the ambiance is unmatched. But, man, watching it on TV, and I say this as a dude who's lucky to be able to watch sports and talk about them for a living. Watching it on TV is just an absolute, just three hour torture march. And, and that's if your team, that's only if you're like, only changes if your team is like beating the crap out of somebody you hate, right? Like if it's 11 nothing Pirates mm-hmm. over Cubs in the third inning, okay, I'm going to enjoy that. But like your average, like seven to three game or something is just so hard to watch. Yeah, I completely agree. I was, we were talking about it couple episodes ago diehard baseball fan i could hardly watch the playoffs i i don't want to watch strikeout strikeout home run strikeout 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 double strikeout home run it's just not enjoyable and i don't know what you do to fix it i don't like any idea that manfred brings to the table but at some <laughs> point he's going to bring something to the table that's going to change everything and almost to the tie, like I kind of, I kind of get what you're saying too. Like I think a lot is going to be based on like Manfred and where he wants to take this game because, you know, if you want to go one direction here, like this is what we're going to do, and then Manfred changes it because he makes these new rules and that goes against what you're trying to do. That could, you know, really, you know, shape up your team and such. Like I, I'm with you guys too. You know, the the from a team standpoint and a player standpoint, you want to do what's most productive. And if you know the science of this and this is what's telling you this is the most productive way of doing it. You're going to achieve it. So it's on baseball to say, how can we better the product? And for me, I'm almost to the point too, like I I do agree on something with the shifting. Like I have come full circle, you know, I was all against it, but now I do feel like maybe we do have to adjust the shift. Not saying like, because I don't think you can totally ban it. Right. But I do think there's something we can do to change the shift. Maybe not so extreme, you know, maybe saying that there has to be at least two infielders on each side of, you know, second base. And I do think that can help. And maybe that's what also changes. Now the inefficiency comes guys who can hit the contact. Like maybe that's the next route these teams are going to go. Like that's the inefficiency, right? Here's these guys that can hit the contact. The ship's now gone. Maybe that's the route that, you know, small market Ben Charrington might might go. I don't know. Well, then Kevin Newman's going to be a future MVP. He might. (laughs) You bring up a good point, though, honestly, about – when the metrics have told you this is the efficient way to go about it, it does seem like lunacy that you would suddenly try to do it a different way. You know what I mean? So 
just there is sort of an existential problem. And I'm a guy that subscribes to baseball reference. Like I pay for stat head, I pay for ad free fan graphs. So I'm like, I'm certainly like a pro advanced metrics person. And, you know, I'll, I'll read Brooks baseball and look at the charts and everything else. But like at some point, the joy of it does get sucked out when somebody says, actually, no, this play that was pretty boring is the smart mathematical maneuver here. Um, I remember vividly where I was the first time I saw like an extreme pirate shift pay dividends. They were playing the Cardinals in 2013 in the regular season and Matt Carpenter hit like a screaming line drive. I was in a bar on the South side. I think it was in Mario's and it looked for all the world, like a go ahead base hit. Like they had, I think the go ahead run at second base and Neil Walker was out there and went up the ladder and stabbed it. And I remember like gasping at my tell, like, Oh my God. I've never, why is there a player there? That's brilliant. That's ingenious. And now it's become so rote and so commonplace. It actually is tiresome. Somebody hits a screaming line drive into short right field. And you're like, oh, that's a two hop out. Cause the guy's slow. Like and it's that not was really like the that playoffs and world series yeah. this year, like to a T almost. How many times right. do you see that? Right. Like guy hits a, like, I don't know about you guys. When I watch the game on TV, I watch the ball off the bat. And I'm like, I judge in that millisecond. I try to judge, is this going to be a hit or is this going to, does this look like a home off the bat? And I have not been wrong more times than in the last five years. Guys, oh, yeah. They're going to be doubles and it's, it's into somebody above. It's a line out to short right field to the second baseman. Come on. I mean, to make light of that, how many of the announcers, I mean, they had to do it on the screen as well. They weren't live. How many times did Greg Brown do that as well? <laughs> mm-hmm. He was oh, sort of yeah, going crazy and wild. All of a sudden, it's well, it's caught. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, everyone got afflicted with Tim Neverett's depth perception when they had to do it that way. So TNDP, yeah. rampant. Well, I think I think the biggest thing for me is because yeah, same thing. You're watching the game. Um, player hits it and hits it hard, like line drive right up the middle. Right, it used to be a single hundred, hundred you know, hundred times out of hundred times. Um, now there's a player standing right there every single time. It's like you, you hit the ball up the middle now, and it's an out. You you, hit, you, you pull the ball at all, and it's basically an out. Um, it's it, it is it's 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 interesting because again, it's the science, right? But again, is it it gets boring though? Because I don't want to do math equations while I'm watching a baseball game. <laughs> See, I'm cool with like I, I'm I get baseball as being like a smart game. Like I'm I'm cool with there being math and and advanced analytics in the game it it, and and i like that stuff but at the same point in time it has made the product itself less enjoyable right and 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 again it goes back to i think the i think the biggest problem more than anything is just there there's not enough action and when i mean action i mean there are not enough balls actually put into play um i said way too many strikeouts all the action seems to be home runs, which is fine. I, I like dingers. We all like dingers, but you know, we, we, I want to see, I want to see triples. I want to see doubles. I want to see singles every now and then. Stolen bases, like it's just not even like a part of the game anymore. Gratifying to watch a team actually execute a hit and run. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like old, good, but like when a team tries to put a little bit piece of strategy in play, like for me. I love home runs too. I, I love all that stuff. It's it's wild that guys can hit the ball that far. But watching somebody slap a single that scores, you know what I mean? That would be an out, but because you put something into motion and you have to execute right there and like in that second, you have to hit the ball to that spot on the field. 
that's still fun to watch. Like to me, that is in its own way. It's as thrilling as watching a guy hit a ball 480 feet. And the strange thing is we went from a phase with the shifts where they first started that it was the next phase is going to be find some hitters that can oppose the shift, go opposite field, teach these guys how to actually use the other side. They all just said, screw that. We're just going to hit it over the fence instead. (laughs) So now what's the next phase? Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, it, really, it was that 2015 Royals team that won the World Series, right? Like, that was a fun team who actually, like, that's, they won because of their speed, their ability to put the ball in play, and just wreak havoc, right? Um, we haven't really had a team that was successful in that way since then. Yeah, that's a good point. They were, like, they were what, 25th back. in home runs? Yeah, I mean, they, 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 they couldn't hit at all. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I think, yeah, I think we all agree, though, like something has to change. It, it, the game is getting more boring, which just it sucks to see as like a diehard baseball fan. Like I want to see the game grow and expand. Like I'd, I'd love there to be people who just talk baseball all the time. And, and it just doesn't it doesn't happen anymore. I mean, you don't have young fans anymore. They're they're bored by it. And as I, I'm, I understand it. I understand it. The, the young market. fans are the ones on Twitter where you're they're right. arguing with you about the analytics of it. And did you watch the play though? Well, I watched it on Statcast. Yeah, like I, Neil. <laughs> woman does on like launch angles and, and crap, but it is it is a strictly like entertainment metric. Like when G, when Stan hits a ball that they find out is 118.2 miles or something off the bat. I just go, ha ha. That's a, like, I go me, me laugh, funny number. Ha ha ha. I, I, I don't care about the launch. Like, I don't care. I know why they're bringing it up. I know how it's relevant to the strategies that we're all talking about that teams are trying to put in play, but the, the overwhelming dominance of it in the way that it is taking over broadcasts. And then you have broadcasters who are supposed to be the people who are conveying like their excitement for the game, right? That's, that's part of the way that you're supposed to get new fans. They don't want to do it in large measure. Yeah. Right. So if like, and, and you can argue existentially, should they or should they not want to? But if they don't, you're not going to win people over if the guy's going, all right, now on our stat cast provided by Amazon Web Services, we saw that that ball was hit at 92.8 miles. <laughs> that a thing. All right, back to live action. Like, I would much rather watch the, uh, the, like, the super slow mo cam and see wild looking visuals when I'm on T, mm-hmm. when I'm watching than necessarily see a detailed breakdown of, of trigonometry or some other math that I failed. Or the catch probability ones. Like the, that, <laughs> This that had one, a 20% catch probability. Yeah, I saw it. It was a great play. Right, exactly. <laughs> when Gary Matthews Jr. went spinning up over the wall to catch a ball, that had a, you know, a 0.5% catch probability. Cool, awesome, dude, thanks. Don't ever talk to me again. Like, <laughs> that was super rad don't have to talk about whether or not 99 out of 100 times it wouldn't be a catch you see that i have eyeballs yeah the, the thing that i like when i when i see those like outrageous um analytics the thing that i, I like them to a point because just it, it it just amazes me sometimes like when i see that stanton hits a ball 118 miles an hour i'm just like holy crap how does an individual even do that like it's more just an awe thing for me like i don't really care what the what the mile what the velocity was but just the fact that like he can do it 
it shouldn't be the main courses, I guess my point. It can be like a little appetizer or a sauce or it's like something cool that you add on, but like don't fixate on it. Like fixate on the fact that you actually just watched him do it. Right. Yeah, I can get that. I'll say for me, the catch probability is what gets me more because I think what's nice about that is some guys make things look so easy. Right. And so like when you hear like, well, that was actually a 99, you know, percent of the time it's not caught. And that's what amazes you. Like, wow, like I looks like a routine play. And look how easy he made it. Jim Edmonds would have hated catch probability. He would have been diving all around, and it would have been like, actually, that was a 90% catch probability. <laughs> He's just lolling you into thinking, right? Yeah. Maybe that's the way it should be used. <laughs> like, Andre Jones would yeah, have caught honest. that. Yeah. He would have been camped under that. Uh, I think we should use it that way when yeah, a guy like, dives at it. I want to shame people with it. Or, like, when somebody gets a pop-up that only goes, like, 30 miles an hour, be like, do you believe this giant wuss? What a baby. <laughs> well it was like when cole tucker was playing center field right and he had his route like looked like an s you know and like it yeah. looked at that the amazing diving catch he had you know in center field this year but we looked catch probably it was like 25 percent. Yeah, like they should have it sponsored for bad ones like that by circus and it's like jeffy's little dotted line through the outfield to finally <laughs> catch the ball. he like goes over the imaginary tree house and then finally gets where it's supposed to be right so speaking of Cole Tucker and catch probability, what was the catch probability for Vanessa Hedgen? I, I really, I really, I feel like I just can't. I, what six point nine percent, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Do I have? I think I'm required by law to say that. I don't know. Guess good for him. Like oh, yeah. he, he is now. I guarantee you, outside of Pittsburgh, he is by far the most famous member of the Pirates. If you did the random, like, on the street in L.A. or Phoenix or some random town, I guarantee you it's Cole Tucker that's going to get, like, oh, yeah, he plays for the Pirates and dates – it's always he gets the and spotted with her. What position okay. is – who cares? He plays right. in the major leagues somewhere. Right. It's crazy. Like, I mean, we, we talked about it on Wednesday, but, like, if you Google Cole Tucker right now, it's <laughs> not an MLB.com article. It's not – Bucks dugout. It's not anything. It's it's uh it's Yahoo Entertainment, E News, People, Us, <laughs> like pop. It's Go insane. For Good for him though. God I'm bless for him. Right. I mean, I'm happy for him. overcome. She he was like, I play Major League Baseball. Can you imagine if he said, I play Major League Baseball, and she said, for what team? And he said, the Pirates, and she started laughing. Can you imagine that might have gone? He ain't talking about like Yankee pinstripes here. Yeah, it'd been like Major League when he'd be like, hey, "We got uniforms and everything." <laughs> Can you imagine just being like, "I dated the same girl, Zac Efron." I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I didn't think about it like that, but that's an interesting direction for old Cole to be thinking there at that point. Like that's something you can put up on the trophy case at some point. Yeah, if you're fucker, though, is that intimidating, or do you just think it's cool? Oh, it's wildly intimidating. Both. I would. I would I imagine it's. If a I'm Cole Tucker, both. I can't yeah. hit 200. But I'm dating. Well, that's that's what we're saying. Like maybe this is what Cole Tucker needed. That adds that added pressure to him now. You know, he's got to perform like going, every day. Maybe now he's just like going down the Derek Jeter train. <laughs> he's just gonna build an infield. Gift baskets for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that was really all we were going to talk about today, right? We have anything else to add? I actually want to know how upset Chris was whenever he got broken up with Starkey. 
I know that Pony worked out, but you and Starkey were fun together. Um, I will say this. Um, I No one in the business, like I know he makes people mad with his takes. There is nobody, and I mean nobody in our business in the city who works harder than Andrew, just like sheer work ethic. He's freakishly and intimidatingly smart. Um, and I mean that genuinely, he and I are good friends. Like we've always been good friends. Cause we, you know, we kind of came in together when the station started and we were doing the graveyard hours together, the, that eight hour block overnight. Um, he, he works exceptionally hard and is like a student of the game. And I'm more kind of a guy who fell into it by winning a talent search and whatever. So it's fun to work with him. Cause I get to sit back in what's like the two chair and I just get to react especially right now because of COVID, like it's much easier if he generally plans out the specific nature of certain topics and then I get to react. It was fun with Starkey, but Starkey was very unpredictable day to day. It depended so, if he had his coffee. Dude, you think that, <laughs> but it's not sugar, man. It's all like I could, t- when Craig and I joke about it, cause Craig's the common thread through it. Like we're not kidding. Like he would just go off the, he would eat a piece of cake on cake day in the office and drink a cup of coffee and be bouncing off the walls. Like if like somebody was doing cocaine, it was that weird, but no, they're, I like them both. They're both good guys. Like people used to always wonder if me and Joe actually hated each other. We didn't, um, but they're very different in their approach. And my role with each one was very different. So the fun, like the actual serious answer here is the fun thing for me. I do love working with Andrew and I did love working with Joe. The fun thing for me is trying to figure out how to sort of alter what I do on the air to try to get the best sounding show with a totally different person and personality than the guy I had worked with for five years. That was how I looked at it. I do miss the old Starkey Muller and Miller. Oh, Those were that good was days, a, that was that was a good show. I, I I would listen to that every now and then from uh, from Kentucky. So back when I had a commute, you know. That was a messy show, though, because um, Josh... Josh was Josh, football. <laughs> Josh Man. was just... Josh, Josh, he put his feet up on the desk before we had a video camera technically showing a live feed. He put his feet up on the desk, and I would just look over at him, and sometimes he and Joe would want to like come to blows because Joe would get frustrated with him, or Josh would get mad that Joe threw a little low blow. And then because I was the young guy, guy in the show they both of course predictably would just somehow take it out on me <laughs> victim of the proxy war between two other bigger countries yeah but that was fun that was like the same time as Vinny and cook which oh. everything was great on that radio station at that point uh, there are i hear that from people who like loved how awkward it was my opinion of the station is that like it has generally gotten progressive more polished in most areas since it started like there are a lot of people that are like yearning for the good old days of 2010 or 2011 and i'm like man no trust me station the station has by and large grown up very much since from then to now it's much more a professional work environment yeah i mean so it's like your baseline of professionalism is pretty low to begin with but yes i would say it (laughs) love it so there's i miss i miss old stark but like he's always alive in our memory because he's on right before us and we usually make fun of him at least twice a show and he seems to enjoy it so we still play him going (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh, malzy 
Honestly, I'm done. Uh. <laughs> That's what we would do at five o'clock. Malzi, I don't feel good. I'm like, cool. We're the biggest hour of the show. That's perfect, man. That's awesome. Yeah, because you're what three to six. We're we're two to six. So two like to five, six. Okay. Big hour, and I swear, when he would eat cake, it was like clockwork. Two hours. <laughs> I just remember. I think he went on like a three week break from coffee. Well then, yeah, but it would be like somebody detoxing. Yeah, down he was off. miserable. <laughs> oh, he was he was the worst. And then he would. I remember, like, I would close. I would say this to close. He came in one day off of one of those, you know, cold turkey coffee quits, and he came in and he just looked at me funny, and he had a weird look on his face, right? And I couldn't see it. He was holding. He was like turned half away from me. He goes, "Hi, Malzi." And I was like, mm. He turns around like in a horror movie, right? And into the frame comes a coffee cup. He goes, it's not decaf either. And it was just, uh, here we go. Like it was like Craig and I looked at each other and said, well, we're screwed like this. this, We're done. And we were. Gave you something to talk about for at least an hour though. So that's positive. All the time, all the time. So what's your, uh, what's your favorite insult? Someone's told to you on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh. oh i mean rare like you can tell the ones i like because i usually follow the people who just like come at me and say funny yeah. stuff yeah i don't know man the people that actually hate you like i like that people at least it's always them owning themselves right because they're obviously listening they hate your gut right. they, you know they want you to know that they think you suck but they're listening so it's like that's a w for me it's never really fun, man. There's, I, it's really fun. I don't actually care, but it's never like funny, clever stuff. It's always like just you stuff. I hate you. You want to con? <laughs> I had to start the you want to contest thing, and I was like, yeah, dude, it was awesome. I was 27. What are you doing with your life right now? And like people just retread. It's the same stupid stuff that they see somebody else write, and they think it's going to work. And it just does. Like I, I did shame one dude. Who kept? He would just respond with um, the same thing to me, like it was ten times in a row. And I finally just took a screenshot of it, and people started like tweeting him and shaming him, and he just doubled down on it. Like there's nothing clever about it. He was just like, "Yeah, you do suck, and I do hate you." It's like, all right, so what? I love it when you take the just the random ones and you you retweet it, and you're like, "Mom, is that you?" (laughs) Yeah, like on that in a while but like i probably should start getting back into it like like just doing throwing out like didn't know my now like i probably that is a good suggestion to just start like doing that that version of like put downs on people mm-hmm. like mom is that you or self the self that de- i'll tell you this the self-deprecating way to handle it is always the best it completely disarms most people they can't like when somebody's like your show at you when they say you suck you're horrible. I'm like, I know, dude. It's wild. They still pay me to do it. I, I'm terrible, and then no one knows what to do with that when they when they hear me say it. I'm like, no, no, no. Really, I suck. I suck. Like this is wild, isn't it? Funny, America, yay! Someone called me a Lamar fanboy earlier today or yesterday, and I was like, yeah, that's that's probably pretty accurate. <laughs> I, I saw that too. Yeah, that was funny. I think. So also just said like we know that your louisville and lamar fandom is creeping into your analysis of the steelers reaction to all this and you just oh, yeah. 
Well, what's funny is like I, I am legit. Like I am. A, I am a Steelers fan. Like diehard. Um, but like I love Lamar Jackson. I watched him here for three years. Most fun football player I've ever seen in my entire life. And so, like, yeah, I want him to. I want him to play well. Um, when when the Ravens play the Steelers, I always root for the Steelers. I hope Lamar has a good game. But I, I hope the Steelers. He doesn't. But the, the the amount of hate that he gets from the steel from Steelers fans because he sucks. I just oh god, <laughs> it gets on my nerves every now and then. <laughs> it, it's very intellectually lazy. Like they pretend have the last last year that he had, which I just find funny. Like he has clearly regressed this year, but right, I agree with you there. I say to people like, don't act like he wasn't the MVP last year. He was. I will. Like he deserved it. Sorry, Tyler. Tyler's ever hating. So see, I'm it's right. always fun in the, the NS9 uh, group chat between Tyler and, and Jim every uh, every Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. If I had an opinion, I'm going to stick with it until he proves me wrong, and that MVP proved nothing. <laughs> I was going to say he won an MVP. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure my response was, "We'll see how he responds this year." It's been subpar, but you're right. I'm going to keep moving my goalposts. Let me I do it. Say, like, are you making adjustable goalposts here because they just yes. keep higher time? Well, that's uh, yes. Guess what? You're ready to step up to the big leagues, and it's time to apply for real sports talk jobs because that's what we do as our specialty. You get onto <laughs> radio when you are an elite goalpost mover, and no argument can't be twisted in your favor. I am Tyler Bayless. I think I asked Tyler, I was like, what would it take for you to say he doesn't suck? And he was like, three MVPs and two Super Bowls. What in the world? Dude, look at Tom. People still call him like a cheater here. Ben Roethlisberger took, like, asked for his jersey like he was in the Mean Joe Green commercial. And like that finally clicked for people that maybe if our quarterback that we fawn over thinks he's the best ever, he's probably pretty good. It took that long for people to actually Chris, give Brady. I still have in my bio Tom Brady is the system. <laughs> I was going to say. That's <laughs> <laughs> become like the. Like the doc, you know, the Barry McCocken or Twitter feed or whatever. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and I laugh every time some idiot falls for it in the mentions. Like they'll put a Brady highlight and he'll put up the like, the system QB tweet. Go nuts for it and don't realize they're getting duped. I love it. He'll put like five minute videos together of just like dink and dunk passes. <laughs> I know, it's funny. They're great. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, Anything else to add, guys? No, I think Chris is ready to go to his in-laws. Yeah, I'm say I'm pound some corn. I'm getting Unless some wanted... asking me when I'm finished, and I said, "Listen, I'm not in charge of this interview. I, I am, uh, I am here with the interviewee. I'm the interviewee, not the interviewer. But I do have to get going here, unfortunately." All right, so let's talk um... some more analytics with Pro Football Focus. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, um... there's at least an hour. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Um, it was definitely my appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, love it. Enjoyed the conversation. And I won't stand for corn slander uh, anymore from any of you. So whatever. I eat your corn and thank me later. <laughs> All right. Well, as I said, this, will, uh, this, this comes out Sunday. So rest of the week's schedule, we'll have uh, Bernardo's Dugout Tuesday, Starbucks Wednesday, and then Thursday we'll have another – NS9 Live. So, actually, it'll be Jeopardy this time. Ooh, Jeopardy I next think. week. Okay, I forget what day yeah, is we'll, it. It might be. We'll find out. We'll let you know. All right. 
Well, thanks, guys. And uh, hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving weekend. Same yep. to all you guys. Appreciate take it, it easy. Yep. See, See ya. ya.